to deliver what you have put on her heart. And we bless every person here in the room to have ears to hear and spirits that are open to the revelation of your Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks. Well, I really have very little to say that hasn't been said this morning already, so I'll just say it with pictures in case anyone gets it that way instead. (laughs) So, well, first of all, I am obligated to send to you, well, I'm delighted to send to you greetings from the Lighthouse Uganda, who have sent lots of love and blessings to you and asked me to communicate that to you. So hello from them. And from Moses as well, and he wanted wanted you all to know that he's been praying for you a lot. And if Moses says he's praying for you, that means he's seriously praying for you. So feel good about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had an amazing time in Uganda. Got back um, the Wednesday before last. And just wanted to show you a little bit about that. But also I'm going to talk to you a bit about hope today, uh, which seemed fitting having been at Child of Hope School in a place called Namatala, which means hopeless. So it's, uh, it's a good place to start. So if, if we can have the slideshow up, if that works. We've uh, extra blessings for Keith today because he has to manoeuvre around a, a Mac. So we'll see if anything works. We're working on it. I'm going to open this in the meantime. You can have the music off though That wasn't supposed to be on there Oh right, no, so the Well, that might work We'll see if that works It does, it's a miracle (laughs) Hello from Uganda So yeah, I was over with Child of Hope School uh, Which is the school that Bex and Moses set up And it was just amazing like people have come back from Uganda before and told all sorts of stories about amazing miracles that they've seen this one just like I literally shed a tear walking around the school because I was there four years ago only four years it's not a long time and there were 80 kids in one room they had three classes all crammed into one room and they had to kind of battle over the noise of each other and it was a tiny little place and in four years they've built three stories of this massive building they've now got over 400 children coming to the school only one child comes from a family so that's 400 families in the slum which are now being completely transformed and uh, being uh, the kids are being fed they're being educated they've been given clothes They sort out their well-being, their medical care. Uh, I saw some amazing stuff like they've now got a health clinic in the school, which is such, I mean, such a simple thing. But uh, malaria medication is available for free in Uganda. But if a kid before got malaria, then the nurse would have to take the child out of school, they take them over to the clinic, they wait all day for it to be their time to get tested, by which point the kid's getting worse and worse through the day. The next day they get the test results back, and if they've got malaria, then they can be given the free medication. It took a long time, and they sadly lost one of their students to malaria, like completely pointless wasn't necessary at all and could so easily be prevented. But now they've got this health clinic in the school. 
if they think that a kid is unwell, then they go and test them straight away. It's a just a finger prick test. They get instant results. They give them the free medication, which they have in stock at the school at all times. And within 40 minutes, the child is completely recovered and goes back to class. It's transformed it. They said malaria is no longer a problem in their school. They're not worried about it. It's completely just blown out of the water. The same thing also while we were there last time. Uh, they said that cholera... Um, which has been wiped out in a lot of the world, was a major problem too, and killed six or seven people in the slum every year. Um, They've built pit latrines. Uh, I think they'd built five when we were there before. They've now built more than 200 pit latrines in the slum, and they've wiped out cholera. That's not a problem. No one dies from that anymore, which is incredible, incredible. Uh, They do small grants and give support to mums and now some dads as well to help them start their own businesses. So it's not just the children that are benefiting from the school, but now also the mums and dads are getting literacy classes, they're being taught how to make savings, they're given a little bit of money to start a business. Four years ago, there were ten mothers that were receiving this, and it was making a big difference. Like One of the ladies... um, did a small, I think, a tomato stand in the market using her grant. She earned enough money to put savings away that she could stop renting her hut in the slum. She bought a piece of land, built a home in it for her family. They now don't have any like monthly outgoings in that way because it's their own home, they own it. And so her business has now funded all of the rest of her children to go to school and receive education too. Her family has been completely transformed. And she's sending money out to the rest of the relatives and supporting them, getting their kids in school through such a tiny thing. So 10 mums in this um, four years ago, now they've got 117 businesses. And I asked if any of the businesses had failed and they said they have a 100% success rate because they don't let a parent fail uh, in their business. They just give them all the support that they need and keep them going, help them, don't give them the option of it not working. So 100% success rate in those businesses that's a pet rabbit. <laughs> yeah, they've got some rabbits there now. That's fun. I asked them what the rabbits and the hawk were for, and they said, educational purposes, <laughs> learning purposes. Yeah, <laughs> just for fun, really, that means. <laughs> they like playing with them. Um, what else was good? Uh, oh, I forgot what it was I was going to say. But there were some amazing transformations. Um, and we did a, a video workshop with them, which was pretty cool. We went out, and when I got there, I could tell Moses was a little bit like, is this a weird idea to teach filmmaking to kids in the slum? Like, what's the point? Is, is, how useful is this going to be? Is it going to work? Uh, they'd never, never held a camera before. Like, didn't know what to do with it. So I think he was a bit bit nervous so were we we didn't know if it would work either but it was like well I've got this idea just gonna go and do it and so we started doing our filmmaking workshop and as you can see they uh, they loved it took to it like ducks to water <laughs> um, and we found amazingly that some of the kids that really really thrived using the technology and stuff were the ones that weren't necessarily the academically strong kids 
And Moses, at the end, told us that he had been worried, but that he was really pleased that the kids had understood English teachers. They'd been able to get hold of our learning methods, which are pretty different. But also, the thing that bowled him over was that some of these kids are coming to the end of their compulsory primary education. And Child of Hope want to sponsor kids through secondary education as well. But for some of them, they really don't, you know, they don't thrive in an academic environment. And so they're getting to the point now when they turn about 14, 15, that some of them are going to have to support themselves somehow. And they've been scratching their heads going, well, how are we going to equip the kids to go out and do things? And um, when he saw them doing all the cameras and stuff, he said, I've got an idea. And he'd start getting inspired. Because in the slum, people don't have access to cameras or computers or anything like that. But they still want a photograph of them at someone's wedding or on a special occasion. So they'll save together a 1,000 shillings for a photograph and another 600 shillings to get it printed. Moses was like, we can train these kids to set up a little photo company and they'll start a business and they'll be, you know, if some of them join together then we can use the, the grants to help it get started. We'll support them as they get savings. They'll be able to bless their families. We'll run a community college on Saturdays and we'll have other people come in and learn how to do it. And we'll have this media hub in the slum and it, it, I was like, oh. Bex is going to be really cross when she hears all this. <laughs> We've made so much trouble. <laughs> but it was, it was brilliant. They really, really took to it. And the, the last thing that I noticed when I was there was just the atmosphere in that whole place had changed. We walked around Namatala, which is this. This is the slum area. And four years ago when we'd been... They were quite strict about you don't want to be there after dark and just be careful if you're flashing around equipment like cameras and stuff. And I'd noticed that um, when we were walking around, there were lots of big groups of guys sitting out drinking their kind of homebrew stuff, even early in the morning, be really drunk. And it put a bit of a, an edge on the atmosphere, so you felt a little bit uneasy. Now, four years on, and the number of families that have been impacted by Child of Hope just mean that the atmosphere has completely changed. They said there used to be, I think, 11 witch doctors based in the slum. They've chased them all out. And now new churches are coming in and building. Uh, new schools are being built. New houses, like permanent houses, are being built in Namatala. The atmosphere has changed because it's not a hopeless place anymore. People know that good things are happening in this area. So they were saying, oh, I have to change the name of Namatala, that means hopeless. I have to change it to hope, call this place hopeful, because it is so different. It was really remarkable. And I, I, I noticed that, and I, it really moved me when I was there, because I could just see, like, it's working. They're slogging their guts out, <laughs> and it's working. It's, it's amazing. And I have to tell you that the lighthouse, they said to me, the lighthouse is almost... Not exclusively, but almost single-handedly sponsoring all the kids in that school. So you guys are making this happen. And I was talking to some of the kids, and lots of them came up to me and said, tell my sponsor my greetings and say thank you. Tell Graham. <laughs> Graham? Or oh, Graham. <laughs> all of this. They wanted to thank everyone. The, the 
like the love and the appreciation that they feel towards the lighthouse and the families that sponsor them is really overwhelming. It's amazing. Um, and I got to visit the Lighthouse Uganda Church. In fact, I feel like I camped out there. I was only a week there, and I spoke four times at the Lighthouse. <laughs> Moses, Moses had told everyone that Pastor Phil was coming to visit this year, and then heard he wasn't able to come because I was getting married. So he's like, well, you're here, so we'll make good use of you while you're here. <laughs> it's like, oh, all right, thanks. <laughs> Um, and they they wanted me to show you a bit of what they're up to. And I thought it fits in so beautifully as well. We're talking about joy and hope and the art of celebration. Um, so I've got a little video clip now, if we, can, if we can go for that one. That's the Uganda video. Thanks, Keith. They've got a song called Winner. Sounds a bit like Wiener, but it's Winner. <laughs> It says, winner, you are a winner. Every battle, you are the winner. I thought it was really good. So I've recorded a little clip of it. And uh, you get to see them, how they have a celebrate and how they have a worship. Uh, And while they're trying to get it ready, look out for, if any of you saw the slideshow that Bex did a little while ago about that little boy, Elijah, that had the bad head wound and worms and uh, was really malnourished and had been abandoned. At the end of the video, you see a little toddler. Well, he's not a toddler, really. He's quite old. In a white T-shirt, having a boogie. That's him. So you'll see how he's doing now. Is it working? Who knows? Oh, yeah. Well, I think we're here, are we? No, not Lost Generation. Sorry, the other one. Uganda video. <laughs> it's a bit multimedia today. I had like four videos and a slideshow on that, so it's a bit to contend with. Well, hey, yeah, here we go. Is, that's Elijah. Moses having a boogie. having fun (laughs) winner winner higher higher like that (laughs) yeah they were having a good celebrate that was their offering song as they gave their offerings and they were having a celebrate so that was amazing but uh yeah it it really really struck me what it was to see when hope comes into a hopeless place how things change and the power of celebration to just inject hope into that hopeless situation to yeah, it was amazing. had a wonderful time. So keep praying, keep supporting them, keep blessing them. Go and visit if you can because it's awesome. But I wanted to just move on to talk a little bit about hope. 
and hopelessness. Because that's our, our theme for this month, joy and hope. So uh, it, one of the things that kind of, you know, sometimes you have to go away somewhere completely different to, to your own world to see something about your own life. You kind of go, oh, yeah, I kind of recognize that. It looks different, but it's the same thing. When we're walking around the slum, you realize how people have to go into survival mode. There's no room for kind of luxuries and stuff. It like it's just keep going, just keep you keep working, you keep doing stuff, you keep moving. They're always doing something from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to sleep because it's survival. We've just got to keep going and I realized how easy it is actually for us like we're not necessarily in the same life and death sort of situations as them but how easy it is when there's pressure on us to go into survival mode as well where it's like okay I'm faced with a challenge so the thing I need to do is look at the challenge focus on the challenge and think what I need to do harder what I need to do more to overcome this and that's survival mode but sometimes we get stuck into a rut doing that really where we realize what's happened to hope what's happened to joy where where is my expectation that something supernatural something amazing could happen i've just been focusing on turning the handle and keeping things going and and uh it takes hope to be injected a little bit like building that school in one room just starting with that how that hope is like spread like yeast through the whole place and has changed the situation so much that now the effect of hope is like being reaped all across the slum, even where Bex and Moses haven't been. Hope is changing the atmosphere and things are starting to happen. So let's have a look at some verses, that helps. Romans 14. Romans 14, oh no, sorry, Romans 15, verse 13. This is the one that our um, declaration is based on for this month. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I um, was listening to a talk by Steve Backlund the other day. Um, He's got a website called Igniting Hope. He's all about hope and joy. He's Mr. Hope and Joy. He's got this little catchphrase that says, your hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. I thought that was really good. Your hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. And I think that's something that God is working on at the minute. I think he wants, I I don't know if you remember, I had a kind of like a dream quite a while ago where the Holy Spirit was going and like breathing onto embers in people and they were starting to come into flame again. And I keep remembering that dream at them and it keeps coming back to me and I feel like he's coming and he's breathing hope into our hearts again so that the embers that have been just gradually gradually you know not going out maybe but just not the fire that they once were he's coming and just breathing life into and it's coming back into flame he's igniting hope in us again 
so that we could be abounding in hope. Francis Frangipan, uh, he wrote something called The Three Battlegrounds. And one of them, he said, is uh, one of those three battlegrounds that the enemy tries to attack is the area of hope in our lives. And his kind of famous quote is that any area that in your life that isn't filled with glistening hope, you're believing a lie, and so it's a stronghold of the enemy. I'm going to repeat that again, because if I don't know what to say next, I'll just repeat it until it's... <laughs> any area in your life that isn't filled with glistening hope, you're believing a lie, and so it's a stronghold of the enemy. It got me wondering what lies... Uh, I've been holding on to in my life that if I look at my life am I glistening with hope in every single area I don't know <laughs> I think there's a bit more a bit more of the survival mode than glistening hope in some of them I've just keep stuff going and I realized that there were a few areas in my life where things were going all right like average mediocre maybe and that was good that's fine just to keep going and but whether I would say they were glistening with hope, I don't know. So I started saying, oh Lord, what, what are the lies that I've been holding on to that actually you want to come and just breathe new life into today? Uh, and he told me that he's going to be dropping some of those in, like even now. So maybe he's just going to prompt you with something, just just whisper something. And that's not a condemnation of like, oh, you've got these strongholds in your life. This is really difficult. You're going to have to battle them. No, it's so simple. Once the light comes in, the darkness just goes. It's just as easy as that. So as soon as he shows you, you just go, oh, that was silly. <laughs> Chuck it out. Done. Let hope in. Let hope in. One of the ones that just popped into my mind this morning was there's something to do with going and seeing miracles and amazing things in other countries. When you go to a wonderful conference and you see Randy Clark doing amazing miracles or when you go to Africa and you see something that you wouldn't see at home normally. Like We've almost come into a mindset now, though, where we go, that stuff happens in other countries more than if we're here in our own country. But the Holy Spirit said to me that he wanted to bring a little word of truth today, which is that we have authority, we have more authority in our own area, in the things of the Spirit, because we've been praying here and we've been worshipping here and we've been changing the atmosphere and laying the foundations. He wants to change it so that our expectation is we will see more of the supernatural, more of the miraculous. We'll see greater, greater, Greater breakthrough, greater breakout of his spirit here, because we have spiritual authority here, than even the most amazing stories we've heard of from somewhere else. So if you've seen the power of God move through you when you've been somewhere else, take hold of it, don't let go of it, because you have greater authority here and it's going to be multiplied here. So that's one thing. (laughs) There we go. Take it. The amazing thing about God is that he's really, really good. That's enough. (laughs) Yeah, he's goodera. He's the God of insteads. When um, uh, at Bex and Moses' house, they've got this beautiful garden, and from their garden you can see Mount Elgon. There's this really spectacular mountain, like (laughs) 
it's not at the end of their garden but it looks like it like fills the horizon it's huge and it's like really impressive you kind of walk out the door and you're like whoa there's a mountain right there that's spectacular but uh, we were there in the rainy season uh which means it's nice and sunny most of the time but every now and then a storm just rolls in from behind the mountain and I came out one morning and this storm had kind of rolled over and completely blocked the horizon and um so I was sitting out on the veranda looking at this and it kind of made it seem as if the horizon ended at the end of their garden you couldn't see the mountain on the other hand on the other side and as I was sitting having my breakfast or something I think the wind changed uh, the clouds parted and suddenly I saw the mountain behind and I was like oh the, the mountain was there the whole time I'd sort of forgotten that it was there and the Holy Spirit just was reminding me that of this mor- of that this morning because the goodness of God is like a mountain in our lives. He never changes. He's always been good. He's always been faithful. That will never change. He's so much bigger. Like we were saying, our God is greater than any other. Our God is higher. He's awesome in power. That will never, ever change. Sometimes when storms roll into our lives, they kind of cloud the vision. And it's almost like we forget there is a mountain on the other side because all we can see is the storm. But when praise comes when we start to turn our eyes to him again when we remind ourselves of his goodness it's like a wind coming that just blows the clouds apart so that we can see the mountain that was there all along that never changed that tells us that no matter what he's going to work everything for the best he's never going to turn away he's never going to leave us his power is the same yesterday today and forever and if he's done a miracle for someone else he can do a miracle for you too that's not going to change He's that good. He is the mountain that is always, always there. And he's the God of insteads. I thought we'd look at who he is a little bit. Just remind ourselves, because he's really good. It's good to remember. So this is Isaiah 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And then we go down to verse 7. It says, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honour, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. I believe that this is the season of the insteads. This is the season where these things are getting turned around. It's the double portion. It's the season of the releasing of everlasting joy. The season of dreams come true. The season of the fulfillment of hope. That the enemy's best ploy is to try and bring discouragement and hopelessness and pressure. But instead, God brings a double portion. So where the enemy tries to bring heaviness... 
It's God's intention that he wouldn't just wipe out the heaviness and restore us to zero, but we get a double portion in credit too. The area of your greatest challenge becomes the area of your greatest breakthrough. And that's his intention for this season, to turn things around, to turn back the tide where things have been taken or stolen. They wouldn't just be restored to zero, but they'd be put in credit higher, greater, stronger than ever before, that the relationships that have been under pressure wouldn't just get back to all right, but they would be stronger than they've ever been, that the finances that have been under pressure and squeezed wouldn't just go to, all right, we're just about at zero, but instead it would be a season of abundance, that the the promises that God has been speaking over us have come into contention because when we're under pressure, we're aware of our need. And when we're in need, we cry out to God. And it's an open door for his goodness to come flooding in, where if we were just at zero, if we were just all right, without the pressure, we could just carry on surviving, you know, just carry on, carry on carrying on. But instead, when we're under pressure... There's that need, there's that cry that says, God, you've got to come and do something. And that is going to be the open door for something really miraculous to happen. So he's the God of instead. That's just what he's like. How do we get hope? Not by looking at the problem. That's my natural response sometimes. All right, money's a bit tight now, so what could I do? How could I look at the problem a bit closer? If I save a bit here, if I work a bit harder here, if I do this, if I think about that, if I... And sometimes we get so caught up looking at the problem that nothing actually... You know, we're just working harder. Nothing's changing. Nothing miraculous, anyway. Um, I was thinking about Jesus uh, and the story about him walking on the water... In Matthew 14, um, it says, and the, the story's around verse 22 on from there. And so they'd, um, they'd gone aside a little while for a rest. We've looked at this story a lot in the last <laughs> few months, last six months or so. They'd gone aside for a rest, but instead of a rest, the need had just increased. Like, more people showed up. They were still hungry. Like it said, the disciples hadn't even had time to eat. And so what's the first challenge they're faced with? Like, a multitude of people that they need to feed. They're like, oh, we haven't even eaten, and somehow we're going to have to find the resources to feed you guys. Like, that just seems to be the way, doesn't it? And that seems like a familiar feeling at the minute. Like, the very things that we've been declaring God's going to do are the very things that have come under more pressure and more like, oh, come on, I thought you were going to break through in this. But immediately following it, and God does provide in that, in abundance, they have all baskets full. That's the, the truth at, at the end of that. That's what happens. But then they get in the boat and they're going off and uh, Jesus stays on the other side. The, the disciples go off on the boat. A big storm comes up. They're getting tossed and turned around all over the place. A big storm. Suddenly all the good things that have happened fly out their minds. They can't seem to remember a single one. It's all gone in a moment. And they're crying out. They're like, oh no, what's going to happen to us? And Jesus comes walking to them across the water. And I've, I was wondering once, like, 
like how what how was how is it that he was doing that so it's an interesting kind of I wonder I like to picture it a bit like was he walking up a wave and down a wave and up or was he just like walking and it just all went like flat in front of him I don't know was it like ice skating that's quite a fun image whoosh <laughs> um but then I made this little link at one point, which made a lot of sense to me. I hope it does to you. Revelation 4. We're flicking back and forth a little bit. Revelation 4, verse... Let's read it all because it's good. From verse 2. It says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold... A throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like Jasper and a Sardisone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. And then it talks about what happens there and says they don't rest day or night. So that was going on 2,000 years ago. It was going on 6,000 years ago. It's going on today and it will go on forevermore. That they were casting down their crowns and they were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So that's the reality of what's going on all the time. God's throne is established. It always has been. It's never been under contention. There's been no striving. He's not worried about his sovereignty. He's not feeling shaken. He's not biting his nails saying, how's this going to work out in the end? He is established in heaven on his throne. And the elders are casting down their crowns and they're saying, worthy, worthy, worthy. And they always have been and they always will be. And around the throne is a sea of glass. And that suddenly made sense to me that how could Jesus come walking across the sea through the waves and the storm? Well, for him, he wasn't moving in that realm of reality. For him, there was a truth that was even greater than the storm that was around him, a higher truth, a truer truth, which is that he was walking on a sea of glass in the throne room of God, in God's presence. And in God's presence, there was no storm. It was just easy. He just put one foot in front of the other, and that's all there was to it. So it was easy for him to walk to them in the boat, because that's what the reality was. And when he stepped out in it, it had to become, it had to filter down from heaven to earth, because that's just the law of how it works. And so for him, he was walking on a glassy sea. Maybe he was ice skating. See, that's glassy. I hope so. <laughs> So when we're in a, in a trial, in a challenge, or under pressure, how can we be like Jesus and do the same thing? Take our eyes off the waves and the storms and move in that other realm, in that higher truth. 
a bit like the disciples often when we're under pressure like everything good that he's done flies out of your head doesn't it you're like I'm pretty sure he's done some good things in my life but can't put my finger on them right now (laughs) like oh yes I was a paralytic and he healed me oh yeah (laughs) Uh, but I wasn't just in case anyone doesn't know me that well just made that up (laughs) Uh, worship God's been speaking to me quite a long, a lot just lately about stop. You know, sometimes when we get in survival mode, our first reaction is to just keep turning the handle, keep doing stuff. And his first key for us is just stop. Stop the movement, stop the activity, stop the fretting and the trying to do something to fix it. Just let yourself off the hook for a moment. And then start to praise. Because when we praise and when we worship him, when we celebrate, even though it seems like the last thing to do, it's like we're joining in with the, the, uh, like the elders and the creatures around the throne. We're taking ourselves out of our moment in time and space. And we're saying, I'm putting myself in the throne room in heaven where your throne is established, where you are the God who was and is and is to come. And like they say in the uh, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, <laughs> how does it go? If it's not, oh, what's the quote? I've forgotten it now. If it's not yet, Oh, thanks. Yeah, it'll all be all right in the end. If it's not yet all right, it's not yet the end. That's a good word. Well done, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. (laughs) It'll all be all right in the end. And if it's not yet all right, it's not yet the end. Because we have a God who is victorious. We have a God who is greater, who does work all things for our good, all things Even when it seems like it's gone too far and there's no hope left. Even when that sickness has been called incurable. Even when they've said this is for life. Even when they've said this will be on your permanent record. Or you won't be able to do this anymore. Or you won't be allowed to do that again. Or there's injustice of any kind. It's never too late for God to turn back the tide. Never too late. Nothing is too far gone. I had a really amazing um, revelation of this in a very unexpected place just lately. I've got another little video to show you, uh, which is Fix You. I'll give Keith a heads up so there's time to find it. Um, I teach a film school at Bowcroft Special School in Wimborne and Coalhill. We teach a class for, I think it's like 12 to 17-year-olds in my group. And... um, Some of them have been doing this for a while. Some of them are quite new. Uh, They've got mixed abilities, so the filming in it is a little bit sketchy at times. But they came up with this idea for a music video about reversing things. Um, And we've put it to Coldplay's Fix You. They had a lot of fun making it. Excuse the shaky camera work. I just enjoy it because every time I've watched it, I felt the Holy Spirit fall. And I was like, he's using these kids at the special school to prophesy about restoration. They're prophesying their own healing, but they're also prophesying to all of us about the things that we think are too far gone. He can still turn back the tide and reverse it. So let's watch that. It's just a couple of three minutes long. Enjoy. When you get what you want 
but not what you need When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Stuck in rivers And the tears come streaming down your face When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone but it goes to waste Could it be bit at the end where there's a stick man and the hand comes over and cleans it all up and puts it back good as new that's what our god is like there's just like breathing to him he that's who he is he's the god of hope he's the god of all hope he's the god of restoration for him it's as simple he just wakes up in the morning and he goes do you know what i'm gonna do what i love doing it's so easy for me (laughs) 
I'm going to restore some stuff. I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to change some situations. And he comes and he breathes in our hearts and ignites those embers again. It's so powerful. If we can get out of looking at the wind and the waves, and we just stop, turn our eyes on him again, and start to worship, start to celebrate, start to laugh at the lies of the enemy, they just fall away. They fall away. Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it takes longer, but one thing is really, really sure, it will all right, be all right in the end. If it's not yet all right, it's not yet the end. That's what our God is like. And um, it's who he's made our church family to be. We're the lighthouse because he's called us to be a beacon of hope. We're supposed to be put up in a high place to show the light, to show the goodness, to call people home and say there's hope in this place. And that starts by getting hope ignited in ourselves again. Because there's a lot of people that need hope. There's a lot of... It's not just Namatala that's a hopeless place. But God is in the business of changing that. He wants to change the name of the place, change the nature of the place, so that when people come and walk around our area in four years' time, they go, this is what it looks like when hope comes to a place. This is what it looks like when lives are transformed. And I just feel like God wants to start doing that even now, today, to start bringing some hope. And the best way to do that is to have an encounter with Jesus again, to just put ourselves in the throne room with him and turn our eyes on him and say, whatever else is going on, you are worthy. You always have been. You always will be. You're so good. Your goodness is without limits. Your faithfulness is without ends. And I declare that's the truth and it's going to manifest around me. We can't guarantee when we pray for each other what miracle we're going to see. But we know that when we pray, God comes. And when God comes, good things happen. That's a guarantee. That's a definite. When God comes, something good is going to happen. When we get together and we pray together, God's going to come. So I think it'd be good to pray. It'd be really good to just bring those areas of unglisteningness to him. It might be as simple as that. It might be a desperate need. Or it might be just, I'm not glistening with hope. I want to. I want to be a beacon of hope to other people. I want my life to be a miracle testimony in everything I do, everywhere I go. So um, I'm going to pass back to Sheila. (laughs) But I think it would be great if we could just pray. And uh, I think God's going to come. He's going to come and do some stuff. (laughs) Yeah.